You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Hey, let's dive right into our study of God's Word. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray as we begin our study tonight. Lord, thank you for this good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have come, and therefore there is reason for even the most weary heart to rejoice. And so, Lord, as we come and we reflect on who you are and what you've done, how you've come to us, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We pray that you'd do a transforming work within us. And, Lord, give us receptive hearts and minds as we pray to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let me ask you, how many of you have ever done something that, was, that you would describe as thrilling, right? Thrilling, something that causes your heart rate to go up. Up, something that causes kind of, uh, you know, your adrenaline to rush through your body. Maybe you've jumped out of a, a perfectly good airplane, right? You've gone skydiving. Maybe you've gone ziplining. One time I went bungee jumping. I've only done it once, though. I'm probably not going to do it again. Um, you know, uh, or, or maybe it's something else. Maybe you got on stage. Maybe you asked somebody to marry you. Maybe you did something that freaked you out, and yet it was absolutely thrilling, well, that, that idea, that word thrilling, you know, one of my favorite lyrics from a Christmas song is from a song that we just sang, that song, Oh Holy Night, where it describes Christmas as something which causes you to have a thrill of hope. I find that so surprising almost every time I hear that word, a thrill of hope. You know why? Because a thrill, well, the dictionary defines a thrill as a sudden rush of intense emotion, a sudden rush of intense emotion. So in other words, what the author of this song is saying is that if you would really understand what Christmas is about, if it, if it would really sink down into your heart, you know what it would do? It would cause your heart rate to increase. It would cause adrenaline to pump through your body. It would cause you to experience an extreme rush of hope. If you really understood what Christmas is about, it would cause your heart to race. It would cause your adrenaline to pump. But you know what? The song goes on from there. In that same line, here's how the line goes. A thrill of hope, a we the weary world rejoices. Friends, am I right that if there was ever a time when the world was weary, it is right now. This is a time when our world is characterized by weariness. The, the world and us in it, you know, with all the difficulties, with all of the hardships, all the setbacks of this past year, the world and all of us in it, I think we could say, are characterized by a sense of weariness. And yet, what this song is telling us is a great truth, which is this, that the meaning of Christmas is something that is so good that it would cause even the weariest of people to break forth and rejoice. You know why? Here's why. The next line of the song tells us why. It says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. In other words, the meaning of Christmas is that something has happened and because that something happened, everything is going to be different from now on forever. And when you understand that, it will fill you with so much hope. It will cause you to rejoice even in the most difficult and frustrating circumstances that you might ever face in your life in this world. Christmas, in other words, 
is really good news. It's really good news. And listen, if there was ever a time when we and the world we live in needed good news, I'd say it's right now. This is the time when we really need good news. So why is Christmas the good news that we need? Let me tell you why. The reason that Christmas gives us a thrill of hope is because the Son of God came as promised so that we could become sons of God. In every message I give, I give the, the core idea of the message in one sentence, and I want you to write that down, you note takers, take a photo of it, you photo takers, right? I want you to write that down, memorize it. This is your takeaway truth, the thing I want you to leave with tonight. Remember this, Christmas is good news. It is a thrill of hope. Why? Because the Son of God came as promised. This is what Christmas is about, so that we could become sons of God. So let's take that phrase, that sentence, and let's break it down, and that'll be also be our outline for this message. The Son of God came as promised. Okay, you know, one of the things that makes Christmas unique amongst other holidays, other times of year, the thing that makes Christmas absolutely unique is the sheer amount of anticipation that surrounds Christmas that's associated with the Christmas holiday. You know, there's no other holiday like that. There's no, there's no other holiday that has the same amount of anticipation and buildup and waiting and preparation as Christmas. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it kind of feels like celebrating Christmas is kind of like having a, a second part-time job, right? Where the, the, the lasts for like half the year, every single year, right? You can't sleep in on Saturday because there's lights to hang, right? There's, there's photos to be taken. There's cards to send. There's presents to buy. And you know, it's interesting. Christmas is just one day on the calendar year, but the preparation lasts for months, we don't do that with the 4th of July, right? You're not like, hey, it's December 20th, right? Like, it's time to start preparing for the, for the 4th of July. We don't do that for Labor Day. Nobody's like getting ready and preparing for Labor Day for several months. No, you know, but with Christmas, people will argue about when it's actually socially acceptable to start listening to Christmas music. And they always seem to be pushing it earlier and earlier. I think the current date is now like July 5th. That's at least when the people I know start listening to Christmas music. And stores begin, of course, uh, decorating and preparing months in advance. I have family members who literally, like, they finish their Christmas shopping in October every year. So they're, like, sending me a message in September being like, hey, what do you want for Christmas, right? And then by the time they buy things for my kids, kids for Christmas, like uh, my kids are no longer interested in those things by the time Christmas comes around because it's been a very long time, right? But that's how people are with Christmas. It's just this, all this preparation, all this buildup, anticipation, uh, and all this stuff. And, and you know, what happens is as the day gets closer, the house gets decorated and the presents begin to appear under the Christmas tree. And that just causes the anticipation to build. But we're just building up to one moment it really isn't going to last very long. You know, Christmas, I would say, is characterized more than anything else. It is characterized by anticipation, waiting, preparation, build up to one moment. And, and you know what? That actually makes sense. And it's absolutely appropriate. You know why? The, the reason we celebrate Christmas this way is because the very first Christmas was also characterized by anticipation, waiting, preparation, build up for a particular moment to come. Look at how Paul the Apostle begins his letter to the Romans. Here's what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. 
The word gospel simply means good news. It's a proclamation of something that has happened that changes everything. It's good news. And this good news about Jesus, Paul tells us, is something that was promised beforehand by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the first Christmas didn't catch people by surprise. It wasn't something that they, they were not expecting. No, just the opposite. It's something that God had promised and people had been waiting for and looking for and hoping to see for hundreds, no, even thousands of years. God had promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus was born. And if you read through the Old Testament, here's what you'll find prophecies and promises about a person who would one day come. This person is called the Messiah in the Bible. And the promises and the prophecies that he would come, that he would be the Messiah, they were the promises and prophecies of a Savior who was going to come, who would be sent by God to fix what is wrong with the world. Can you agree with me, friends, that there are some things that are wrong with the world? There are some things that need to be made right. There's evil in the world, and the promise was that this one, this Savior, would come, and he would stamp out, he would put an end to evil forever. But you know what the thing is? It's not just that there's problems out there in the world. It's not just that there's evil out there. You know what the bigger problem is? There's evil, there are problems in here, inside of me, inside of you. There are problems and things that are not right, not just out there in the world, but also within all of us. And the Messiah, the prophecy said, would be a person like no other person who had ever lived. On the one hand, he would be a human being. He would be a descendant of King David. He would be born of a woman. And yet in other ways, he would be a person like no other person who had ever lived. For example, on the one hand, some of the prophecies said that he would suffer and he would die a sacrificial death. But then there were other prophecies that said that he would rule and he would reign forever. That's different. And then there were other prophecies and promises which said that this person who would come, who would destroy evil, who would fix what is wrong in the world, that this person would actually be none other than God himself come to us in a human body in order to do these things for us. For example, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, it says that this child would be born of a virgin. That's unique. He'd be born of a virgin, and he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the prophecy that was quoted in the verse that we read just a few minutes ago. Another passage in the book of the prophet Isaiah, it said that this child would be called by certain names. Check out these names. Look at them closely. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Can you imagine that? A child who is called the Mighty God. And also, not just that, but the Everlasting Father, the Eternal God, the Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. Think about this, a child who will be God himself come to us to fix what is wrong with the world, to put an end to evil, to save us from the curse of sin and death that hangs like a dark cloud over our lives. This was the promise that God had made. And for generation after generation, people waited and anticipated and looked forward to and hoped to see that day would finally come when God's promise would be fulfilled. 
And so look at how Paul, the apostle, describes the birth and the coming of Jesus in his letter to the Galatians. Here's what he says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He says, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. Now this letter that Paul wrote, it was written originally in Greek. And in the Greek language, that word that he uses for the fullness of time, fullness, it's the same word that's used for a fruit when that fruit gets ripe. So you can imagine in your mind a fruit growing on a tree or on a vine and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it begins to ripen until it's ready and it's plump and ready to be picked. It's the idea that when the time was ripe, at just the right time, when everything was ready, God sent his son into the world. Now you might wonder, how is it that that time, 2,000 years ago, how was that the right time? I mean, just think about it. Today, wouldn't this have been a better time if God would have just waited until now? Think about all the technology we have. Things could have been so much easier and so much smoother for all these people involved if God would have just waited until our time, right? With all of our technology. I mean, think about it. Nowadays, right, like the birth of Jesus, we could have live streamed it. The, the wise men, they don't even have to travel. They can just stay home and watch on YouTube and say, okay, cool, the king's born. We'll just send him some gifts. We'll order on Amazon. They'll deliver them to his house with a gift receipt, right? And Joseph and Mary, right, they, they could have like called ahead, right? You were always on Joseph's case. Why didn't he find a place to stay? Well, because he didn't have a phone. That's why. But nowadays, right? He's, he's going to rent a VRBO. He's going to get an Airbnb. He's going to call ahead. And he's going to get a place to stay so they don't end up having to stay in the barn. And, and you know what? Jesus could have been born in a nice, clean hospital, nice and sanitary. And the shepherds could have posted videos because, you know, you just have to like take their word for it. Like in the old days, like somebody says something happens and you just believe it. Now, nowadays, we don't believe it unless we see a video, right? You post it on Snapchat, post it on Instagram. You see, okay, there's the angels. It would have gone viral. It would have been cool. The, the, the wise men, uh, right? They could have used GPS to get there, which would have saved them from having to do that whole thing where they go to Herod and then Herod tries to murder all the babies, right? Saves everybody a lot of headaches just by using some better technology. But listen, God in his wisdom, he looked at that and he said, no, 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 that was the perfect time. At that time, that was the time that was ripe for the coming of the Savior into the world. Let me just say this on a personal level for you and for me. This is true in our lives as well. God's timing is impeccable. He's never late. He's, he's not often early, but he's never late. And he, he knows what he's doing with his timing in your life and what he wants to accomplish in your life as well. He doesn't always act early, but he's never late. And you can trust in him. I hope you know that. Listen, there were a few things, though, that were going on at the time when Jesus was born that really did make it a time that was ripe for the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, into the world. For example, before Jesus was born, there was a man named Alexander the Great who spread the Greek culture and language throughout the world. There was an empire, the Roman Empire, that was taking over and they were building incredible amounts of infrastructure. During this time, there was an unprecedented time of world peace in most of the world called the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. And as a result of this, it all kind of culminated to mean that at this time, there was a common language that most people could speak. And there was a system of roads that was safe to travel on. And the world was generally at peace. And what that meant is that the, the situation was perfect for the spreading quickly and a 
sufficiently of this message of Jesus throughout the world at this time. You know what else happened at this time when Jesus was born at just the right time? We're told in the Gospel of Luke that at the time when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, the Roman ruler, he ordered that a census be taken of the entire Roman world, and that coincided exactly with the birth of Jesus. And that's why Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem, and that's why Jesus was born there, because of the census. Now, they didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived about three days' journey away from Bethlehem, but they had to travel there because the government made some rules that messed up their plans. Can any of you relate to that? Anybody, right? Like, like how many of you have had your plans messed up this year because the government made some rules, right? And it messed up your plans. Let me tell you, if that's you, then that is, uh, then you are in good company because Mary and Joseph, that's how they ended up in Bethlehem on that day, on that first Christmas. There's nothing more Christmassy, guys, than having your plans messed up by government rules. So if you guys want to know what the real Christmas is about, you're getting to experience it like no other year ever before. And yet, I want you to know this, these government restrictions government regulations that messed up their plans, God in his providence used them to get Mary and Joseph right where they needed to be at right, just the right time so that God's promises could be fulfilled. Guys, we can trust in him. He knows what he's doing and he is providential and sovereign. Listen, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. When it says that God sent forth his son, think about what's being implied there. The implication is that the son of God, Jesus, already existed and the father sent him forth. That's important. You know why? Because you did not exist before you were conceived in your mother's womb, before you were born. But Jesus did. Jesus existed before he was born from eternity past. And the father sent the son into the world. Listen, you know why that's possible? Because he is, as the prophecy said, as the verse we read earlier said, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God come to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is the incredible message of Christmas. We call it the incarnation. It's this idea that the God who made you, the God who gave you your DNA, the God who sustains your life in every moment with breath in your lungs and, and blood flowing through your veins, that God stepped down into time and place. He entered our world in order to make himself accessible to us. And on that first Christmas, God took on human flesh. The voice that created the cosmos was heard crying in a cradle. The hands which placed every star in their place wrapped themselves around Mary's finger. He was fully God and fully human. The message of Christmas is that the Son of God came as promised. We read there in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, this, God sent forth his Son in the fullness of time, born of a woman. Born of a woman. You know what that tells us? That tells us that when we talk about the Christmas story, we're talking about historical events which happened to real people in real places at a distinct point in history that we can, we can set our clocks by. Listen, in other words, when we talk about Christmas, we're not talking about a fairy tale which we made up to make ourselves feel better at this time of year. 
We are talking about something that really happened in history. And because it really happened, we can have real, actual hope. Listen, the Son of God came as promised. Why? So that we could become sons of God. So that we could become sons of God. That's the meaning of Christmas. Listen, this passage in Galatians chapter 4, it tells us there are three things that I want to show you from this passage about why Jesus came. Okay, number one, Jesus came to redeem you from your sins. Look at what it says in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? It's to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. What is this law that's being talked about? It's the law of God. It's God's perfect standard of what is right and what is wrong. What it actually means to be good. Or in other words, to be good enough. It's laid out in the Bible. God's law. It's what God expects from us. It's his standard. But you know what the problem is? The problem is if we look at it and we're honest, we have to admit that none of us have succeeded in living up to God's standards. We have all fallen short. We have all blown it. We haven't done it. We haven't lived up to God's standards. And listen, I think that all of us would acknowledge that. Don't we always say, hey, nobody's perfect. That's absolutely right. Nobody's perfect. And, and you know what the problem is? The problem is not that God's standards are just too high. The problem is that we have fallen short and messed up. And you know what? It wasn't always just mistakes. There were times when we have all at times knowingly acted in contradiction to what we know to be right and wrong or what we even know to be the will of God. And to fall short of God's standards, to break God's commandments is what we call sin. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. It is judgment. And we, as we sin, you know, think about it like this. It's as if we are building up a massive amount of debt and we're just piling on to that debt every time we sin, every time we fail, every time we knowingly go against the will of God. We're building up this incredible amount of debt. And that's why it is so interesting and so wonderful when it says here that the reason God sent forth his son into the world was to redeem us from our sins. Here's why it's interesting. Because the word redeem is a word which comes from the slave trade in the ancient world. It comes from the slave trade in the ancient world. This idea of redeeming. It means to purchase something back. To buy it back with money, with funds. And the way that you would redeem a person who was a slave was by going and laying down cold hard cash in order to purchase their freedom to purchase their freedom. So in the ancient world, you know, the, the way that slavery worked was that a lot of people who ended up in slavery, most people who ended up in slavery, they ended up in slavery because of poverty. They ended up in slavery because they didn't have enough money to feed their family or because they had accumulated a lot of debt and they didn't have the means to pay back their debt. And so what they would do is they would sell themselves or in, in worst cases, even they would sell another member of their family into slavery and they would take the money that they made from selling either themselves or another family member and they would use that money to feed their family or to pay off their debts. 
So in other words, you know, uh, slavery was very much related to debt and poverty. So imagine if someone you love ended up in that kind of dire situation where they had to sell themselves or sell a family member into slavery in order to pay a debt that they couldn't pay or in order to, to get money to, to meet their, their need because they were so broke and, and devoid of funds. Well, what you could do is that you could go and if you had the money, and it would be a lot of money, by the way, and you could purchase them back. You could purchase them to be your slave and then turn them free. Or you could pay their debt that they owed and then they would be let go and set free. What Jesus is saying, what, well, sorry, what the scriptures are saying here is that that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. That is what Jesus has done for us. God came to you in the person of Jesus Christ in order to pay your debt and set you free. On the cross, Jesus gave his life in order to redeem your life. He paid your debt in order to set you free. So, so your debt before God could be erased, forgiven, paid in full. The message of Christmas is that God came to earth and he took on human flesh in order to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to pay your debt and to redeem your soul. And because of what he did, the dividing wall that divides you and God, that stands between you and God, could be removed. Your sins could be forgiven. But you know what? That is not the only thing that God did. If that was all, that would be amazing. But there's more. Jesus came not only to redeem you from your sins, he also came to make you a child of God. Here's what it says there in Galatians 4 verse 5. It says that he came so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus didn't only come so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He also came so that you could be brought into the family of God, so that you could have a new identity, a new destiny, a new future, a new belonging, so you could have a relationship with God and know him personally as your father. Notice that it says adoption as sons. Why doesn't it say sons and daughters? Why doesn't it say adoption as children of God. Why does it say sons? Is it because the Bible's an antiquated book that was just written a long time ago when people didn't care about things like gender equality? No. You know why it says sons and not sons and daughters are not, not children of God? You know why? Because legally in the ancient world, sons had certain rights and privileges which daughters did not have. Daughters, for example, could not be heirs, but sons could. Even if you were an adopted son, you would have all the rights and privileges as a biological son. So understand this, by saying sons, we're adopted as sons, not as sons and daughters or not as children. It is not diminishing or dismissing the value of women, actually quite the opposite. For, for women in the ancient world, this was saying to them, God has come to us and he has elevated your status. And in God's family, even the daughters have the same rights as sons. You know what? In other places uh, in the Bible, believers are called the bride of Christ. So the guys get to be the bride of Christ, you know, dressed in a bridal gown, and the ladies get to be sons of the living God, and everybody wins. It's good stuff. You, you know what, though? These words are chosen specifically 
because they signify, they, they relate to us specific things about God and, and what it means, what he has done by bringing us into relationship with him and what that relationship is like. To be a son is to be an heir. To be an heir means that all that the father has, all of his riches also belong to his sons. The message of the gospel, the good news of Christmas is that God came to us in our desperate state when we were slaves to sin, when we were condemned to death, and he not only came to redeem your soul, he also came to bring you into a relationship with him so that rather than being estranged from God any longer, you could know him as your father. And everything that is his, he gives it to you. His righteousness, his strength, and ultimately, his home. And that brings us to the third thing that Jesus came to do. Jesus came so that you can have eternal life. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul the Apostle, he explains the coming of Jesus in this way. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When we celebrate Christmas, we are not only celebrating something that was anticipated in the past, but has now come, that has now happened. No, no, no. All this anticipation about Christmas, it's absolutely appropriate. You know why? Because at Christmas, we remember something that was anticipated and has now come. But you know what else? We are also anticipating something which has not yet come. We are still anticipating. You know what we're anticipating? We're anticipating. We're looking forward to how in the ages to come, for all eternity, we will get to enjoy and experience the riches and the kindness and the grace of God towards us because of what Jesus has done for us. What, what, you know what this means for us today, practically? You know what this means? It means this, that no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, no matter how frustrating or painful this life might be for you at times, you can have hope that goes beyond this life. You can have hope that cannot be changed or altered or taken away by in any circumstance, even the most difficult and dire circumstance in this life, and you can have hope even beyond this life. You know what it means to be more than a conqueror, as Paul says? It means that the worst things that this life can do to you in Christ are also the best things that can ever happen to you. They will bring you closer to him and ultimately, literally, even death will bring you literally to him. We are more than conquerors. We have a hope that no one can take away. It is unshakable, kept in heaven for us. You can have hope beyond the grave. That's the message of Christmas. And since this is true, it means that no matter what this life might throw at you, the worst it can do to you, difficulties at work, difficulties at school, difficulties in your family, frustrations and hardships with your health. The message of Christmas is that because Jesus came and he redeemed your soul and he made you a child of God, you can have the hope of eternal life, a hope that no one and nothing in this world can ever touch or take away from you. And this salvation, it's by grace. You know, the word grace, it simply means a gift a gift. You know what a gift is? You're going to get some, I hope, I really do hope that you get some tonight or tomorrow. You know what a gift is? A gift is not something that you purchase for yourself. 
It's not something that you work for. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. A gift is something that somebody else purchases for you and gives freely to you because they love you. That's what a gift is. Listen, on Christmas, we give each other gifts. Why? Because on Christmas, we remember that God's greatest gift, his unimaginably great gift has been given to us in Jesus. The message of Christmas is that the Son of God came as promised so that we could become sons of God. Jesus came so that you could be redeemed, so that you could become a child of God, so that you could have eternal life. This is God's gift to you because he loves you. But you know what you have to do with a gift? You have to receive it. You have to open it. You have to accept it, right? How do you receive this great gift of God to you? It's very simple. The Bible says you receive it by believing. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it, does it just mean to believe that he really was a historical person who lived back in the day? I think it's more than that. Actually, I know it's more than that. It, does, does believing in Jesus mean that you just believe that what the Bible says about him is true? No, no, I would say when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, here's what it means. It means to trust in him, to cling to him. Think about that, clinging to him as your only hope, relying on him, depending on him. That's what it means to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, to rely on him, to cling to him and what he did to save you. And friends, that is the way to truly celebrate Christmas. If you want to get all that Christmas has, all that God has for you in Christmas. If you want to experience true Christmas joy, that's the way to do it, by trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus. Because the message of Christmas is that the Son of God came as promised so that we could become sons of God. That is really good news for a weary world. So may this good news of Christmas, may it sink down deep into your heart tonight. May it fill you with a thrill of hope as you trust in and rely on and cling to Jesus this Christmas Eve. Please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel, this good news of the gift of Jesus, that you came to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who says, you know what, I'm not totally sure that I have ever really put down my yes and said, yes, I receive that gift. Yes, I trust in and rely on and cling to Jesus. Lord, I pray that even now, right now, would be the time when they do that for the first time in their life. And Lord, for those of us who have, who have already said, yes, I do trust in you, Lord, tonight would we experience, I ask, that true Christmas joy that comes only from trusting in and clinging to and relying on you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you give them a very blessed Christmas and they would experience the true joy of Christmas by trusting in you. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.